um, I'm very thankful uh, just for you as a church family. You know, I'm very thankful that we can just be together. Right? I'm very thankful that, that um, each and every one of you choose to call this church your home. And I'm very thankful, um, obviously, for, for the Lord Jesus and what he's doing in our midst and our church. Uh, but with that being said, we are on to Christmas. Amen. Unlike some of you cheaters who've had your, uh, your trees up since uh, November 1st, we are properly celebrating Christmas now with the beginning of Advent. And uh, as Bradley already alluded to, you know, Advent's a, a, really, a really wonderful season. There's a couple reasons for that. He mentioned how Advent means waiting. It's a Greek word. The Greek word means to wait. And, you know, in our culture, we're so, we are a microwave culture, not a crockpot culture. We want everything in a minute and a half, you know, not, a, not two and a half hours, right? We want everything so quick. And, and the minute that uh, it's November, uh, this, this, you know, for this uh, month, for this year, the minute it was no- November 26th, we, let's go straight to Christmas, right? And we want it to be December 25th right now, so we can open up our presents right away, right? We just are so quick, and we really just need to slow down. And that's what Advent is. As, you know, growing up, uh, as a kid, you know, we just think of, you know, uh, Christmas as one day. It's one day. But true Christians, a true church, celebrates Christmas for four weeks leading up to Christmas Day. And then on the church calendar, there's 12 days of Christmas. Didn't know if you knew that. That's not just some song somebody made up. That's actually on the church calendar. 12 days after Christmas, we celebrate Christmas even longer. And so, because it's a really, really big deal. It's a really big deal. Um, and hopefully by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can get into today, you know, obviously I'm not going to, you know, uh, Sarah kind of touched on a little bit, you know, how do you even describe hope, right? I've been in church my whole life. How do you even describe this whole concept of what we have for Christian hope? But I'm hoping, I'm hoping, by the power of the Holy Spirit today, we can kind of dive into a little bit what Christian hope is and, and really what Christmas really should mean to all of us. And so, with that being said, I accidentally, Chris, I told you the wrong word of the scriptures. I'm, I'm bad. Can we pull up Jeremiah 33? This is the scripture for the lectionary, and I want to I read this before, just kind of to frame our discussion for today, uh, before we pray. The day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I have promised them. In those days, and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for our time together and just uh, all the wonderful things you're doing amongst us. Lord, I pray in these next few moments as we just dive into scripture and, and into this theme of hope and, and, and Christmas, Lord, I pray that you would just open our hearts and minds, Lord, to just receive from you and to receive uh, from the Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hope. I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and just talking about, uh, he's a friend that we like to talk politics together. And, uh, and just, but more so than just like Republican, Democrat, more so like actual policy issues, like kind of the nerdy stuff that nobody in you really here care about, you know. Uh, we, we talk like really in depth and we were just talking about the failure of the public school system, um, like at large, you know, like, like not just, I mean, the schools around here, they obviously have their problems, but countrywide, there's a lot of problems and stuff like that. And then just talking about um, failures with supply chain issues, all this kind of stuff, this nerdy stuff that, you know, we don't really care to get into this morning, right? But we were talking about all these, like, really negative things. And I was just talk, I was just thinking to myself, like, man, we're too far gone. This is, <laughs> all right, let's just, 
strap it up and we're gone. You know, we're, we're going to start all over, right? And I, and I was just thinking, there's a way in which you can look at the world that seems very hopeless, right? There's a way in which I could get up here and even thought about it to where I could name you off all sorts of statistics about drug use in the United States, about sex trafficking in the United States, about uh, divorce rates in the United States, about uh, child abuse in the United States. I could name off a bunch of things that would make this room very, very uh, doom and gloom, right? There is a way that you can look at the world that makes it seem very hopeless. And certainly sin does exist, and sin is uh, in our society, and, and sin does abound. But how many of you know that Jesus abounds more strongly? Amen. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. And so in this world that we live in, in this world where we've had a crazy past two years, haven't we? It's been a crazy time, specifically the past year with the COVID and everything. There is a way in which you can paint this world to be hopeless and gone and good for nothing. But I came here to tell you this morning that Jesus gives us hope. Amen? Hope has a name, and His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. It does not look good on all fronts, but we have a Savior, and His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And so this morning, if we could get in our, hypoth- our hypothetical time machine and, and, and transport back to Bethlehem uh, thousands of years ago, I want to go back to that night of Christmas and just talk about what does this even mean? How does this mean hope for us in the world? How does, how does the incarnation mean hope? For us, what does it mean for us? The scripture that we read, Jeremiah 33, the day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and Judah all the good things I have promised them. Stop there. Israel and Judah, the, the Jewish people, have had a, they had a long-standing tradition of, of this kind of prophecy of, of hope, right? That there would be a Messiah, there would be a Savior, there would be a figure. Somebody is coming that is going to save the Jewish people, right? Somebody is coming that is going to save you, right? And what's God saying? I'm going to do for them all the things I've promised to them. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. What we see in the birth of Jesus is the promises of hope fulfilled. That there had been a long-standing tradition, a prophetic tradition, a, a, what do you want to say, stories told, right, that there would be a king, there would be a savior, there would be a hero that would be born. And what is God saying? He's saying that this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And what we see in and through the birth of Jesus is this uh, prophetic foretelling coming to fruition. And the fancy word that we call it, but I want you to get familiar with this word, is the incarnation. All right, turn to your neighbor and say incarnation. Incarnation, incarnation okay? I want you, to, want you to, to just chew on that word a little bit, okay? Incarnation, it's a fancy word, but simply uh, what, what it's referring to is the birth of Christ, the incarnation of God. It is, it is God becoming flesh. And Bradley broke it down before uh, service, but I want to I reiterate and piggyback off of what he said. The Bible says in John 1, I don't have the scriptures up here, but in the beginning was the Word. If you break down the word, word, in that scripture in Greek, it's logos. It's the same root word for logic. In the beginning was the logic, the mind of God. And all things were made through him, and nothing was made without him, right? 
that the mind of God, the logic of God, the personality, the attitude, the essence, the character of God became flesh. Became flesh, was born as a baby boy in, in Bethlehem, right? The character, the mind of God, the incarnation, Christ becoming flesh, God becoming flesh. So why is Christmas so big? It's not because of the Black Friday deals. Although, how many of you cash in on those, amen? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Nick raised up his hand as he was walking out the door in the back. <laughs> it's not about those deals, right? Because we have a strong pull towards materialism in our culture, right? The real draw of Christmas, the real reason that Christmas is so special and so magical is the spiritual significance of it. It's that God became flesh, that the presence of God became one with us. That the king was born. The king was born. I want to read Isaiah 9.6. If we've got it there, Chris, we can pull that up. Isaiah 9.6. For a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The one part of that scripture I want to zero in on there is a second part, mighty God. That, that in the birth of Jesus, this, this child that is born is God of very God. That 100% God, the incarnation of God born to us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And next, this next part, this is really, I mean, this is what the whole message today I want to, want to be around, this next scripture here, Matthew 123, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Why is Christmas so important? And why, why do we do all this hoopla? Why are we celebrating all this kind of stuff? Because at the end of the day, guys, this incarnation, the word I've told you to remember, the incarnation represents God with us, God becoming one of us, God entering into our world. He enters into our story. Jesus is not just the author of the story, but he writes himself in as a character. He writes himself in as the main character, if I might add, right? He writes himself into the story, into the narrative, into your story, into my story, into the story of humanity. Jesus writes himself into the history books in and through God becoming flesh. And I want to really zero in on this. This morning we're talking about hope. And you might ask, Walker, where is this all going? It's this. The hope of Christmas lies in the fact that in and through the incarnation, Jesus ties his story to our story. In and through the incarnation, Jesus ties his life to our life, his flesh to our flesh, his bone to our bone, his holiness to our life. You see, what happens is that in and through the birth of a baby boy in Bethlehem, we see that God is not far off. God is not far away. And I don't know what you think of God when I say God, whenever I talk about God, I don't know what you think of. But many people think in a certain way that I used to think where they think of God as a, a, a white man with a beard sitting on a throne somewhere far away in the sky and that he's got this whole plan written out and it may or may not involve good things for you, but you don't know because he's really far away and it's been a long time 
time since you talked to him. But that is not the God that we see in and through Jesus. The God shown in and through Jesus is a God that gets close. He gets down and dirty. He gets in the nitty gritty. He is born in a freaking barn to a virgin teenager. Apologize for the pseudo language. But it's a real deal. It's a barn. It's a barn. I was driving to King City uh, Friday night for a football game. We didn't win, but it's okay. I saw a barn. I was just thinking about Christmas and stuff. And just to think, can you imagine? How many of you mothers in here have given birth? Just, just a raise of hand. Can you imagine if Mosaic was just shut down? And they said, somebody said, hey, I got a barn out back. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You'd go back there. Jesse's getting ready to give birth in a, here, in a, here in a couple of days now. Can you imagine? The doctor said, yeah, we're going to just go out east of town and got a nice barn out there, you know. Can you imagine? But that's where Jesus was born. And once again, the hope of Christmas lies in the fact that in the birth of Christ, God has now hitched his wagon to ours. And God does not stay far away. God is not far off, but He becomes human. He becomes human. He becomes one of us. Church father Athanasius talks about this in his book, On the Incarnation. And for those of you that enjoy reading, I would really recommend it this Christmas season. It's a very powerful book on, on you know, the early church and what they thought about this process. But he talks about this, and I've talked about this at length in other sermons, but I think we really need to get this into our head. That in the incarnation, in the birth of Christ, what God is doing is that in order to fully redeem us, He must become fully one of us. That yes, could God just snap His fingers and everything in the world be hunky-dory? Yeah, He's God, right? But the way in which God chose to redeem the world was to fully submerge Himself in it. To become fully one of us. Every Christmas, I seem to bring this song up, but the, 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 the stupid song was like, what if God was one of us? Yeah, if you always talk about that song, and this, the, the singer of the song is saying, what if he was? Well, well, he was, so I don't really know what the point of the song is. He did become one of us. The song, a small, just a small town, one of us, right? He did, he lived in a really small town, right? He became, essentially, uh, just an average person, born to an average family, in an average town, in an average place, in a barn, Right? He became one of us. He entered into the fullness of what it means to be human. Not just the love and the laughter, but also the hopelessness. This morning we're talking about hope, right? But make no mistake about it. Jesus knew what he was getting himself into by becoming human. Entering into the hopelessness of humanity. Entering into what it means to have your heart broken, right? Entering into pain, entering into sorrow. How many of you in here have had uh, someone betray you, turn their back on you, right? I mean, if you've lived long enough, it's probably happened, right? How many of you have lost somebody that you love dearly, right? How many of you in here have been lied to, have been called names, you've been cheated on, you've been spit on, you've been uh, told that you're good for nothing, right? Each and every one of those things have happened to Jesus, in, in the book of Isaiah, he's referred to as the man of sorrows. The man of sorrows. 
Jesus, in becoming human, enters into the, to the fullness of the human condition. Jesus knows what it's like to go days hungry. Jesus knows what it's like to be homeless. Jesus knows what it's like to have his cousin's head chopped off. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by a best friend. Jesus knows what it's like to be spit on, to be lied, to be, have all of your friends that you thought were your closest friends desert you in your moment of need. Jesus knows what it's like to, to, to live in a world full of sin and to be surrounded by sinners. Jesus knows what it's like. I kind of touched on this in my sermon, what to do if you want to punch somebody in the face. But Jesus was surrounded by people every day that got on his nerves. People, there were people every day that did things that were wrong, that were around Jesus. And what God does, and I think sometimes, sorry, I think sometimes we have this idea about Jesus that he just kind of had this like force field around him to where all of the bad things of earth just kind of deflected off of him. And he was always just like peaches and cream, you know, heavenly rainbows all the time. But that would, but for him, that would mean the scriptures are a liar because the Bible says that he was tested and tried in every way that we were tested and tried which means that he experienced all the feelings that we experience. He experienced the kind of anger that comes whenever somebody betrays you, the kind of uh, anger that comes when you see injustice in the world. He, he experienced all of those things. Why did he do this? Why did God put himself through this? Because God entered into our hopelessness so that he could recycle it and turn it into hope. Amen. Because if you know the end of the story, if you know the full story of Jesus, you know that everything I just said is not all that happened. It wasn't all just hopelessness. But everywhere that Jesus went, he met hopelessness with hope. He met death with life. He met sorrow with happiness and joy. He turned situations around because that is what our God does. And so the little boy was born into a manger, into a barn, to a situation where it was not good to a teenager who was scared out of her mind and didn't know what was going on into a world that would reject him and crucify him and hate him. He entered into hopelessness but turned it into hope for you and I. He turned death into life. He turned mourning into into happiness, because that's what Jesus does. Jesus gives us hope. He enters into the depths of, of humanity. He enters into the sorrow of humanity that he might redeem it. What, is the, what does the scripture say? That he trades beauty for ashes, right? Sorrow may, may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And this is what our God does, that he takes situations that look hopeless, and he turns them around. So this, this Christmas, when we're thinking about the, the, the incarnation, we have to think about the, where he, Jesus went into. Right? He left his throne in glory and entered into our hopelessness so that he might redeem it. So that he might redeem it. In and through the incarnation... This is the second point I want to make today, and it kind of piggybacks off the first one, but in and through the incarnation, Jesus' story now becomes our story. I already mentioned that, but I want to go on this trek a little bit further. In and through the incarnation, Jesus' story becomes our story. What do you mean, Walker? There is a story, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the story of the life of Jesus. And in, in the end of everything that happens, right, 
Jesus is crucified, and this is not an Easter message, but certainly you can't celebrate Christmas without Easter and vice versa, right? They, they, they're peanut butter and jelly. And um, it's true. At the, end of, at the end of it all, Jesus is dead, right? Or so it seems. And three days go by. Three days go by. And things look hopeless. Things look, I mean, you can read it in there, but the disciples are a mess, an absolute mess. They have no idea what's going on. They, they're wrecked, right? But what happens is that Jesus rises from the dead. Jesus rises from the dead. But I want to make a very important, you know, theological uh, viewpoint here that will wrap around to Christmas. And here's, here's, it's this. It's that when Jesus is, is in the grave, God decides to vindicate Jesus Christ by raising him from the dead. That's what we profess in the creed, is that God raised Jesus from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead according to the scriptures, right? So that God acted upon the man Jesus of Nazareth and said, rise from the dead, right? And that's what happened. Jesus rose from the dead in a new glorified body, in a new glorified state. And obviously we know that he ascended to heaven, right? We know that he ascended to heaven. But I want to talk about that just for a moment. What happened to Jesus is that when he rose from the dead, he was not... It's very, very clear when you read the scriptures. And, I, and I don't, we don't have the time or the scriptures in front of me to really go through this, but go read back in those scriptures. It's very clear that the resurrected Jesus is not the same Jesus that died, Right? The resurrected Jesus, there's something specifically uh, special about him. He has the scars, he has the wounds, but they're somehow healed. They're, they're there, but they're somehow healed. He is not the same Jesus. He could walk through walls and all this kind of stuff, which is pretty cool, right? But there's also a unique speciality about him. He has been healed. He has been glorified. He has been made new. And this is where I want to wrap this around to what happens in and through the incarnation because Jesus enters into what it means to be a baby boy. Then when it comes to him being resurrected on Easter morning, what happens is that his story is tied to our story. And what happens is that what God did for Jesus Christ, he will do for you and I. And that is the hope of Christmas is that because Jesus enters into our hopelessness whenever he ascends in the hope of glory, that is our hope, right? That is our hope, that we one day will receive that, that we one day will see that, that this life that we experience is not all that there is, that brokenness is not all that there is, that injustice is not all that there is, but there is a day coming. Sing about it in this song. There will be a day, my hope complete. Whenever Jesus comes and he makes all things new, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, I encourage you to go read it, that in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. And whenever Jesus comes back, he will bestow upon us the healing power of God that was given to him at resurrection. The Bible calls Jesus the first fruits of our salvation. How many of you like a good apple? You pick a nice apple from the tree and you bite it. And you can taste the goodness of it. You can taste the richness of it, the, the sweetness of it. And in and through Jesus, we see the first apple. We see the first fruits of the salvation that is coming. We see, we see the mold. We see the template. We see the example of what God is going to do for us. What God is going to do for us. You see, Jesus enters into a world with chaos and destruction and death. But then when he comes back, he is going to usher us into a world of love and life and healing. The Bible says he'll make all things new. 
all things new. There's a reason that we get happy about Christmas. There's a reason. It's not because Santa Claus is coming. It's because of the one who already came. It's because of the one who already came. He came and he established his kingdom. He established that he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. And that in and through him, becoming one of us, he's redeemed us. He's redeemed us. If God, I just want to further this just just a little bit more. Imagine if, if Jesus had come. So this is where we get sorry, this is where we get into the theological pickle, because some I can already see how this might be some confusing to some people, right? What we profess as Christians is very clear is that Jesus is hundred percent God and hundred percent man. It is the mystery of the incarnation. Not 50-50, not 50-50, 100% God, 100% man. It's the mystery of the incarnation, right? But imagine if he had only been 100% God, kind of in a, a human silhouette form, but 100% God, right? And whenever he was, you know, like, like he did have like a force field around him, right? And whenever people, like, you know, like Jedi, you know, like Jedi mind tricks, you know, people would automatically change their, anybody Star Wars nerds in here? Okay, anyways, where people will automatically change their mood just because a Jedi waves his hand. Like Jesus would be like walking up to somebody and this person's like really angry and just in a very sinful attitude. And the second they see Jesus, they'd be like, oh, hi, Jesus, you know. No, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. But imagine if it was. Imagine if Jesus, now, sorry, I get a little spazzy, but imagine Jesus never had to face any problems. No, never fa- faced any problems. He lived to be a ripe old age of 98 years old and then just floated off in the sunset someday. No cross, no, no torture, no, no, nothing like that. You know, just... He was just 100% God. Just everything was all great all the time, right? That'd be a pretty terrible story. And it wouldn't be, it would not create any realness with you or I. There would be no connection whatsoever. But instead, God was 100% man too. And he entered into what it means to be human. How many of you know it kind of, I mean, it's, Kind of a bad time sometimes to be human, right? I mean, you wake up in the morning, your back kind of hurts, you know, you're like getting up and you're tired for no reason. You shouldn't be tired because you just slept, but you're still tired, right? You got a headache, you got a migraine, you, you get the Rona, right? You, uh, you got a cold, you know, we got all sorts of things, right? Your friends are, you know, there's all sorts of things that happen to us as humans that are not enjoyable, and I think one part of the things I've been talking about this morning is I've kind of been skipping over that, just like the small minutia of what it means to be human, right? The small little details of what it means to be human. The fact that Jesus, when he was fasting in the wilderness, has memories of what it means to be held by his mother. Right? He has memories of him and his friends going out and playing as kids. He has memories of, of, of falling down and scraping his knee. Right? He has memories of going out and, and starting his... Uh, um, teaching at the synagogues, right, going and and trying to memorize the scriptures, right? He has memories of what it means to stand outside and be cold or what it means to stand outside and get sunburned, right? I mean, if we really believe that Jesus was 100% man, then he knows all of those things too, right? The little things of what it means to be human. And when you really start to think about how God became human, the story of the human God, it really changes everything you think about the cross. Because in that moment, it's not just God but it's a man speaking to us as God and sacrificing himself as God. 
And it changes everything for us because Jesus redeems us. Because he redeems us. And so this gives us hope. This gives us hope. Circle back around because I got a little bit on a uh, little tangent there. But this whole redemption gives us hope. The Bible says in Romans 15, 13, which I have up there, but Chris is MIA, so it's okay. Well, maybe not because I don't actually have it down here. Substitute. Put me in, coach. Ready to play. Just next. Yep, there we go. May the God, there you go, good job, Bo. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope, the God of hope. You know, in ancient religions, they would have the God of water, right? The God of the air, the God of whatever, right? You, can, you name it, they got it. And that, that whatever they were the God of is what they represented, right? Well, Paul says here, the God of hope. The God of hope. How does he describe Jesus? How does he describe our God? The God of hope. You see, hope is what God represents. Because at the end of the day, that's what God does. And I went through numerous examples, but at the end of the day, God is a God that takes death and turns it into life. He takes sorrow and he turns it into gladness. He takes mourning and he turns it into joy. That is what God does. And so this Christmas season, we can enter into this time with hope because we know what Jesus came here for. We know why he came here. We know what the incarnation means for us is that Jesus was born as a baby, born as a human, born into you and I's world. He was born as one of us so that he might redeem us so that he might take our sorrow, might take our pain, might take our sin and redeem it, and redeem it. That's what he does. Became one of us so that he might redeem it. And we have this hope. We have the blessed hope of what Jesus is and what he shows us. And so this morning, as we close the service, I just, or the sermon, I just want you to think about this. There's a, there is a lot way in which you can look at the world and you can see hopelessness everywhere we look around. And we, Bradley said this a lot, and it's very true. We don't put our hope in government. We don't put our hope in politicians. We don't put our hope in money. We don't put our hope in institutions. We don't put our hope in, uh, you know, possessions or uh, the newest fashion. Or we don't put our hope in whatever it is that you might be putting your hope in. We don't put our hope in our phone. We don't put our hope in other people, Right? Because all of those things will fail. And if we put our hope in those things, then we will be truly hopeless, right? But when we put our hope in Jesus, we put our hope in Jesus, and as the prophet Joel stated, I had to say that, as Joel stated, we trust in him no matter what. When we trust in him no matter what, we trust in the work that he has done, that he has come, that he has lived his life, he has died and he has rose again, and that he is coming to bring that glorification to us. We have this hope. We have a blessed hope, right? We have a blessed hope that the king has come and that he has changed everything. He has changed everything. The last thing I want to say is this. Bradley had mentioned last week in his, his great sermon, Christ the King Sunday. Please go check it out. But the fact that the language of the New Testament is very clear, that they don't talk about, that when they're, when they're talking about Christ as king, 
They don't say that Christ was king or that Christ will be king, but that Christ is king. That Christ is king right now and that he reigns right now and that he rules and reigns. And yes, he is coming back. And yes, there will be a day where there is a full manifestation of the hope of glory. There's a full manifestation of the whole redemptive work I've been describing this morning. Yes, there will be that day. But Christ is king right now, which means that we have hope right now, that we have hope even in this moment right here, even in this time, even in this moment in our, our, our lives, we have hope that Jesus can do what he said he could do. So if you're in here this morning and you're discouraged, be encouraged because Jesus is here, amen? If you're in this place this morning and you've got a bad doctor report, be encouraged. Have hope because Jesus is here, amen? Jesus is king. If you're in this place this morning and your bank account has a minus sign in front of it, be encouraged this morning because Jesus is here. We have hope, amen? If you're in this place this morning and you just got divorced or if, or if you're going through something right now, be encouraged this morning because Jesus is with us and where Jesus is, there is hope, amen? Everywhere he went, he turned things around. He spoke hope into the hopeless situations. That's why we celebrate Christmas because this king has been born, a king unlike any other. He's bringing hope into our lives and he's not just a king for the future or the king of the past, but the king right now. Christ is King, over our lives, amen? And so if you're in this place and you're discouraged, be encouraged this morning. King Jesus is here. He is king right now, reigning and ruling over us. And we trust in him, amen? We trust in him no matter what. That's what it means to have hope. The definition of hope is the confident expectation of good. The confident expectation of good. And whenever we are worshiping Jesus and trusting in Jesus, we can confidently expect that he will send good things our way because he is good and he does good. That's what Jesus does. He is good and he does good for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day.